Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Defense Deconstructed on the CGAI Podcast Network. I'm your host and Vice President of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, Dave Perry. On today's show, which we're recording December 6th, 2021, we're speaking with Lieutenant General Alain Peltier, Deputy Commander of NORAD, about NORAD modernization. This discussion is made possible thanks to the support of the Department of National Defense's Mines Program. This episode of Defense Deconstructed is brought to you by Boeing. Whether it's today or tomorrow, Boeing will continue to be a partner to Canada well into the future. This topic is, is one uh, on which uh, your, your colleagues, your commander have been out speaking about uh, significantly recently. Uh, he was just up here in, in Ottawa recently. Uh, and I thought what we could do today for the, some of the conversation until we get to the question and answer is structure this around the, the joint letter that was signed this past summer on the eve of the election between the Secretary of Defense uh, and the then Minister of National Defense to talk about two of the aspects that were the red flag there is kind of the priorities for the modernization. Uh, first part related to all domain awareness, and then the second one related to command and control uh, and what uh, the command, what you folks down in Colorado Springs are looking to do in those respects. So to get us going, I guess, can we start off talking a bit about the all domain awareness piece um, and the command's viewpoints on that. Uh, the, the letter that was released uh, in the summer spent some time talking about both the need for both increased awareness in the Arctic as well as maritime approaches, uh, as well as um, looking at early warning and persistent surveillance. So kind of those four touch points, Arctic, maritime, uh, early warning, persistent surveillance, how does that all fit together in terms of what you folks are thinking about the need for enhanced situational awareness, the need for better surveillance? Thanks, David. Uh, so as you pointed out, uh, General Van Erk has been uh, a strong proponent of uh, the uh, his new strategic vision, uh, which include uh, uh, not only domain awareness and formation uh, dominance and decision security, but uh, also uh, global integration. Uh, and so let me start off with domain awareness. Uh, and that's where it all starts off, as General Vanner would say, uh, because if we're not aware of our surrounding of the operating environment in which uh, we will be conducting operations, then uh, we're uh, definitely uh, starting with a disadvantage. And uh, the commander, when he came in into the command, uh, as well as his predecessor, General Shaughnessy, uh, realized that uh, you need domain awareness in order to actually lead to the next uh, elements of the sequence, which is uh, information dominance, uh, being able to uh, make sense of what we sense, and then uh, all of that to lead to uh, decision superiority. Uh, and uh, by that, we really mean building decision time for uh, the senior leaders, whether in the military or of our government to be able to actually make the right decision, uh, either in competition, in crisis or in conflict. So across uh, uh, all three elements of the uh, spectrum as we see it uh, for now. So, uh, so, and that's a requirement given the fact that uh, today, more than ever in uh, both the commander and my own career, the threat uh, we believe is the most complex uh, because uh, when I started off flying uh, Hornets, uh, we, uh, we uh, were focused mostly uh, in the air domain uh, with a bomber that needed to actually uh, uh, travel uh, long ranges in order to actually deliver their payload. The reality now is uh, the threat is multi-domain, so it doesn't only reside in the air domain, it's multi-domain, multi-axis. Uh, so gone are the day where we're only looking north, uh, looking at the Arctic and uh, expecting 
uh, bombers to actually cross uh, trip lines. Uh, we're now looking uh, east, west, uh, through the Arctic, as well as south, uh, and, uh, and monitoring uh, the air, uh, as well as maritime domain very closely, and relying on uh, other U.S. combatant commanders and CJOC to help us out, uh, and other interagencies, by the way, and interdepartmental uh, capabilities to actually uh, monitor the information domain, the uh, cyber domain, and the space domain. Uh, and I'm going to say we also monitoring the uh, land domain, but uh, in the layer uh, environment itself. So, uh, <clears throat> so all of that is required today uh, to make an informed decision, uh, because uh, as I mentioned, domain awareness is not exclusively focused on the air domain. Uh, let me uh, dive further. So, uh, air domain. Uh, we used to actually have uh, the mastery of it, uh, being able to actually monitor through the North warning system mostly uh, what would come from the North. Uh, the reality now is the threat. Our competitors have developed uh, capabilities, uh, the advanced capabilities that enables them to actually fire cruise missiles from uh, way outside of our uh, own uh, geographical, uh, geographical uh, boundaries. Uh, uh, cruise missiles that are also uh, able to be fired from the maritime domain uh, at sea beyond uh, the standard uh, uh, limits of the uh, uh, NORCOM or NORAD uh, areas of uh, responsibility. So uh, that's an increased uh, uh, requirement for awareness in both the air and the maritime domain, but I'm at a much greater distance from our coast. And, uh, and we know that uh, quite often uh, crisis or conflict won't start necessarily with a kinetic uh, activity and that it's probably gonna be uh, preceded by uh, uh, increased activity in the information domain and the cyber domain and the denial of capabilities in space as well, uh, because uh, we know that we've had the edge uh, there for a number of uh, decades, but uh, that edge is uh, that margin is narrowing uh, by the uh, by the days and by the uh, by the years. So, because of that, that's why we need to actually look out and and be able to actually uh, have awareness across all of these domains uh, early, so that we can not only put up aircraft in the air in response of a potential uh, incursion of airspace, but rather that we can actually detect uh, any events uh, that will be leading to the potential launch of long range aviations or our uh, submarines that would uh, result in putting uh, North America at risk. And, uh, and I'm not talking here of the minutes preceding the launch of an aircraft, not uh, hours, but rather of days preceding the launch of those aircraft. And again, uh, those indicators may not be coming directly through the traditional mean that we've uh, exploited over the uh, 63 plus years that NOAA has existed, but uh, through other means of monitoring uh, activities of our competitors uh, through social medias, open source activities and the like in order to uh, better understand uh, the, uh, the change in pattern of behaviors that may warrant uh, uh, an increased deterrence posture by NORA. So uh, hopefully I've dressed the table uh, to, uh, to talk about that, that multi-domain, multi-axis and the fact that we need, the threat drives us uh, to actually acquire 
and exploit, uh, acquire new capabilities and exploit current capabilities in order to actually build that domain awareness across all domains. So as, as you said, there's a, a focus on a kind of a comprehensive uh, view to addressing this issue. And, and the, the letter this summer spoke about the need for surveillance from the seafloor to space, I think, if I remember it correctly. But there was a specific discussion, a specific mention about the need for an over-the-horizon radar. So I just ask you to take a minute to talk about uh, that one specific capability that was, was written into that uh, communication uh, to get a sense of why that's particularly to be important. Yeah, thanks. The, uh... Over the horizon radar, or uh, the way we characterize it is the next generation over the horizon radar is, uh, is one of uh, multiple elements that, uh, that will build uh, that domain awareness. Uh, and I say multiple elements is uh, the commander has been talking here about a layer defense, but also about the layer sensing capabilities. And that uh, layer sensing is uh, exploiting, as I mentioned earlier, uh, currently available data and information uh, that is out there. Uh, and then uh, that layer sensing starts not in North America, but starts abroad. This is why over the last year and a half, we've increased that uh, global integration with uh, partners like SeaJoc uh, uh, to the North, but also with other combat US combatant commanders uh, mainly, excuse me, mainly uh, uh, UCOM in the uh, European area and Indo-PACOM in the Pacific, uh, given that both of these COCOM flanks uh, the NORAD, uh, NORCOM uh, areas of responsibility. So we've, uh, we've increased the dialogue, the narrative, uh, and the discussion, coordination, synchronization with those COCOMs. And we're starting to increase the same thing with uh, NATO as well because of the uh, NATO areas of responsibility uh, that is uh, contiguous to, uh, to our own areas of responsibility. Uh, so, so that's, uh, that's that, uh, the concept of that layer sensing. Now, uh, layer sensing as we know it now in the NORAD environment is, uh, is provided by uh, uh, obviously the North warning system that has replaced the dew line back in the early 1980s. Uh, and that is very focused on that Northern approach. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Northern approach is not sufficient to actually uh, be able to actually detect, track, ID, characterize threats that may be coming in, in the uh, Canadian and US airspace. And so uh, we need to be able to actually look further than the limited range that the North warning system provides us. Uh, obviously the North warning system is not the only system that we're leveraging right now. We're also leveraging uh, a number of uh, radar systems from the uh, Federal uh, Aviation Administration in the US and, uh, and the feed provided by NAF Canada as well in Canada in order to actually look at the interior because we know post 9-11 uh, that the threat may be not only coming from the outside of our borders but may be coming from the inside as well. And so uh, we've been able to actually leverage those uh, uh, civilian radars in order to actually populate the air picture. So you've got the civilian radar, you've got the normal warning system, but those are all uh, with a limited range. And this is where now, based on the current threat, and threat always drive requirements, uh, which drives capability, based on the current threat that is more complex and the long range capabilities developed by our competitors, where we needed to actually have an ability to look much further. Well, uh, 
through the great work of the Defense Research Development Canada, DRDC uh, activities, at, combined with the Air Force Research Lab and Naval Research Lab here in the US, uh, we've been able over the last five years uh, to under, better understand the capabilities that, uh, that is provided by the next gen uh, over the horizon radar. A capability, by the way, that has been fielded by some of our allies uh, across the world. And so uh, that enhancement, uh, the work, the research uh, that has been done has uh, demonstrated to us that uh, over the horizon radar uh, could be a capability that would provide us that long range look that would enable uh, to look off of uh, our coast, uh, whether it be at east, west, north, uh, which is uh, where we're mostly focused, eventually potentially uh, south as well, uh, with the deeper look that would enable us to actually uh, have awareness of what may be coming our way uh, in the uh, air, air domain uh, itself. Uh, that combined uh, with the previous sensors that I've discussed with new technologies also that we're exploring and with the uh, satellite capabilities that is currently provided, uh, that is currently uh, supporting our uh, detection of threat uh, that supports our mission of threat warning would uh, give us, uh, we believe, uh, an end situation awareness in order to actually properly posture and react uh, and to a potential threat inbound to uh, North America. And, uh, and, but again, that's one element of that layered system. Uh, so that's a OTHR. So, and I think just to ask you to, to build off that a little more, cause I think you're going in that direction anyway, but uh, are, are there, what are the key issues when it comes to Arctic security that are driving uh, the need, not just for the, the air uh, awareness piece that you were just talking about, but to have an all domain awareness when it comes to the Arctic Pacific? So what are there uh, key aspects in the last four or five years that have, that have come up that are, that are really uh, driving the imperative for that uh, greater awareness? Yeah, thanks. The, uh, uh, the uh, Arctic security is obviously an area of concern for the commander and I, uh, and uh, to both governments, actually, for that matter. And, uh, and so we're paying uh, closely attention. What we have seen uh, over the last five years, uh, five to ten years, is obviously an increase, uh, uh, increased degree of uh, interest in the Arctic by our competitors. Uh, we see uh, increased use of, uh, uh, of the Arctic for navigation, for research. So it, it steps outside of the air domain, but it includes the, the maritime domain aware, uh, as well. Uh, so uh, uh, increased navigation through the north, and we believe that through the changes in climate uh, uh, on which our government is paying close attention, uh, that this will drive for increased competition in the Arctic. Why? Because we know that the Arctic uh, carries a, a number of natural resources, minerals, uh, and the likes uh, that, that is of interest to uh, other uh, nations in the world. So uh, the, the opening up of the uh, northern uh, sea routes uh, uh, in the Arctic itself uh, will increase maritime traffic, but will also increase the, uh, the uh, desire for greater exploitation of the Arctic. And, and, and that, uh, the requirements for those natural resources uh, quite often don't come by itself or by themselves. 
it comes with uh, an increased desire for security by and, uh, and for control by the nations that have an interest in those natural resources. So, uh, so we see already uh, an increased degree of competition in the Arctic, uh, which drives our desire for uh, uh, better Arctic security. Uh, so uh, through our own land defense campaign order, uh, that uh, we've uh, gone, uh, that has been uh, active for the last year and a half. We've actually uh, increased uh, or attempted to actually increase our uh, uh, capabilities in the North, our uh, resilience to operate in the North and uh, through uh, increased uh, uh, awareness of the uh, operating environment in the North, we're trying to increase our ability to sustain activities in the North. And I'm not talking of a permanent presence uh, because that's a, a costly proposition, but rather an ability to actually have persistent operation uh, when required uh, at a time of our choosing so that, uh, so that we're able to, uh, to uh, deter as required, uh, to continue to detect, uh, to deny, and if required to defend as required in that uh, very demanding environment that is the Arctic. So uh, what do we do? Uh, as I mentioned, we've, uh, we've increased our level of activity through uh, the online defense campaign order. Uh, we've got a number of exercises uh, called uh, Vigilant Shield, uh, Noble Defenders, uh, Arctic Edge that is going to take place in the uh, Alaska uh, environment, and, uh, and a number of other exercises there where we take uh, some of the uh, NORAD uh, capabilities and resources and uh, bring them to bear. Uh, to uh, better test our capabilities, current capabilities and the requirements uh, so that uh, we're, uh, we're more agile in that demanding environment. Uh, so that's, uh, that's an element that we're also uh, uh, trying to increase uh, our uh, capabilities as it relates to the maritime awareness, uh, given the increased traffic uh, so, that, uh, so that we're ready, we understand the environment, we understand what may be uh, above uh, water or uh, on the water, but also uh, under sea as well. So uh, uh, therefore uh, the increased uh, demand, uh, increased requirements for the undersea surveillance capabilities that is linked to our maritime warning uh, uh, mission as well. We, uh, we're in a close partnership, obviously, uh, because uh, uh, we, we still need to understand the effect of climate change and we're not the expert on that. Uh, in that environment. So we're in close uh, uh, relationship with other government departments in order to actually uh, get after uh, our uh, better understanding of the environment. Uh, we're uh, closely linked with uh, Alaska and, uh, and our government and uh, the department is increasing uh, the, uh, the discussion uh, with the Northern communities who are very well versed in the, uh, in the, with the challenge of operating in that area, area as well. Uh, Canar, the Canadian NORAD region, has also held a number of, uh, of uh, symposium uh, in order to actually increase our uh, knowledge uh, provided by not only Northern communities, by the industry, by uh, some uh, of uh, the, uh, I guess, integral capabilities uh, that does not necessarily uh, uh, work with us on the day, uh, day in, day out uh, basis uh, to uh, uh, be better postured to operate in the Arctic. And so uh, we've done a number of symposium. One of them was focused on uh, airfield repairs in the Arctic so that we would be uh, demonstrating a little bit more of an agile capability to operate and to uh, sustain uh, 
in, in that uh, demanding environment itself. So uh, a number of activities taking place, uh, but I, I'm not saying that we're the expert yet. Uh, we're, we've, uh, we've been able to uh, map out uh, our current gaps to uh, express our requirements to both uh, Canada and the US. Uh, and uh, now we're working with the different services, uh, not only the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force and the Royal Canadian Navy and the uh, Canadian Army, but also the US services as well to increase our agility uh, in the North. And uh, that's gonna be demonstrated through uh, Arctic Edge exercise that's gonna take place uh, starting in the uh, late January, early February in, in, in Alaska, in which uh, Canada will be taking part as well. Now let's take a quick break to hear about one of our sponsors. For 111 years, the Royal Canadian Navy has worked closely with our allies around the world. During the Battle of the Atlantic, Canada's Navy stood shoulder to shoulder with our allies. Many of the ships that Canada put to sea in World War II were built in Canada, and that tradition lives on today. Our sponsor, Irving Shipbuilding, will build the new Canadian surface combatant for Canada at the Halifax Shipyard. The CSC is based on the Type 26 Global Combat Ship Design, which is currently under construction in the United Kingdom and Australia. Canada's CSC will also be equipped with the Aegis Combat System, extending Canada's interoperability with six allied nations around the world. The new CSC will be Canada's most advanced ship ever built and is the superior choice to protect and support Canadian sailors. The Royal Canadian Navy has always stood up for Canada's interests and stood with our allies to secure them. The CSC ensures our Navy has the tools it needs to take that legacy into the future. So to, to switch uh, gears a little bit, to, to move off of the uh, sort of talk about the Arctic focus and, and the, the broad uh, remit there, the, the pan domain uh, information requirements, and to switch a little bit to the command and control modernization piece. I mean, as a, as a lay person, uh, it seems that effectively you're looking to be able to better leverage all that information that you're getting uh, that's more cross-cutting, more comprehensive, uh, and to be able to put that into a fused common picture. Uh, other than simply uh, more lead time or, or, or better comprehensiveness of that information, talk a little bit about why having that netted together um, in a more seamless way into a fused picture, why is that important at this point in time? Great. Uh, so I, I've seen Fuse Picture uh, evolving uh, throughout my career at the tactical level, uh, starting off with uh, what we had available in the uh, F-18, uh, having been involved also in, uh, in the uh, fighter acquisition program, seeing uh, different capabilities uh, being brought to bear by uh, uh, different uh, elements of the industry. Uh, but that was a tactical level, and this is where I saw the value of being, a, of being able to have an integrated picture that is bigger than just the radar and the, and the short look that the radar present you. And, uh, and now more than ever, and that integrated picture is required. Why is that? Well, I've talked about the complexity of the threat uh, around Canada and the US. That threat now is no longer regional, like a, a problem set is no longer regional, it's, uh, it's global. And so uh, that's why we need to move away from just looking at the problem set and the, and the threat, either through the north or uh, through the west or through the east, we need to look at it globally uh, because we believe that uh, what is a, a regional problem now, I'm not saying even today, but what is a regional problem now can in a few hours uh, very quickly become a global problem across not only uh, the military space, but across diplomacy and formation in the economic space as well. We've seen it through uh, the impact of COVID, 
which was not initially necessarily a military problem, how global that uh, that uh, that became. So uh, it's the same thing for military problem sets. The, the those uh, the threat uh, is now global, and therefore we cannot uh, react to this in a very regional manner, because that that regional reaction, which has been the basis of previous years of planning, uh, strategic planning, plans, uh, strategy development, force development, and force management, uh, leads to tension. Because let's say that you've got uh, problem X developing in, uh, in the region uh, abroad, uh, which would have an impact on more than that single region or that single continent would require uh, capabilities that would be provided uh, by the US and Canada uh, through different plans. And so uh, each of the plans have been developed in isolation and now you end up with tension as to what each of the country will provide to, uh, whether it's a US combatant commander or to uh, the Canada Joint Operation Command, the CJOC. So because of that, uh, we need to reconcile plans. We need to reconcile force management force development so that uh, so that we have uh, a look at what the commander called the single pane of glass so that we understand hey, uh, this problem set is having an impact on not only that local region but uh, the region across so if, if you look at this then uh, that requirement to be able to uh, bring in that global integrated picture uh, leads you to a global integrated command and control system where you're going to have visibility, transparencies on the assets being deployed. You're going to have an ability to actually uh, shape, not only influence, shape, coordinate, synchronize the use of those assets uh, that sometimes are global assets. Uh, I look at our uh, fleets of transport aircraft, fleet of refueler, uh, the fleet of capability brought to bear by Stratcom in, here in the US. Uh, that needs to be coordinated and synchronized uh, through a global look so that, that we understand not only the pressure of that current moment in that region X, but also the other pressure that, uh, that the uh, that global picture uh, will require. So, uh, so it leads to that global integrated uh, picture that leads to the global integrated C2 system. Uh, so we're looking at that closely uh, in relation to the efforts that are being uh, generated in Canada. Uh, through the force development process and the uh, combat system integrator, and through the uh, the, the effort here uh, south of the border through the JAD C2. Uh, we need a, a C2 system uh, that is obviously leveraging, uh, that has the ability to actually leverage all of the data that are being aggregated by the different sensors uh, across, uh, uh, brought to bear by Canada and the US and our allies. Uh, and, uh, and we need the ability to actually uh, exploit uh, the, 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 the data uh, in a contested environment. So that speaks of what the future C2 system needs to be. It needs to be a system that has the uh, connectivity, that has the uh, access to data, uh, that is able to share data, and that is able to command and control forces in a contested environment of the future uh, especially uh, with the challenge that cyber already brings to bear uh, so that we're able to actually present uh, a deterrent posture uh, across not only uh, Canada and the US, uh, but a deterrence posture that is integrated, coordinated and synchronized 
through our allies and uh, other uh, uh, through CJOC and through uh, the U.S. combatant commanders. So, as I understood it, I guess uh, part of the the wider set of solutions to try and address some of those issues, uh, the global information dominance experiments, uh, which uh, Nord had recently participated in, was trying to get at some of that problem. Um, and just to, to familiarize folks, that that effort was essentially focused on generating integrated effects using AI-enabled information. Um, could you talk a little bit about that experience and what Nora took away from it? And I guess um, I, I was struck on reading that. Um, I've heard other briefings about the Pathfinder Initiative. And I, I guess, is this the application of some of the uh, fancy computer stuff to another aspect of the, the NORAD mission set, to use a highly technical term? But uh, what, what have you taken away from, from that? And how would you sort of see that as, as a continuation of the, the ability to, to leverage new technology on top of existing sensor information? Good. Uh, yeah, a very interesting question and very timely, actually, because the commander last Friday held a, a symposium here uh, with all of his leadership to actually talk about the uh, data integration, uh, digital uh, integration as well uh, for the commands. So uh, we're uh, really focused in, uh, in making that leap forward uh, because we believe that uh, a conflict in the future will be won or lost uh, through that information dominance. And that information dominance is very uh, dependent on that, uh, that integration of data uh, through uh, uh, initiatives like uh, GUIDE or the Global Information Dominant Experiment. So GUIDE started back about two years ago as we were trying to make a better sense of that air domain picture and uh, started off through activities like Pathfinder that you mentioned earlier. Uh, Pathfinder is an initiative uh, in which Canada and the U.S. both contributed in terms of not only personnel, in terms of uh, research, but also in terms of financial contribution, and uh, which has been very uh, successful uh, to date. Uh, so far, uh, Pathfinder, which is focused on that air domain picture, uh, uh, has been successful in resolving challenges that we faced back in the 2015-2017 era, where uh, attempting to detect a track amongst uh, uh, thousands of other tracks of a congested air picture uh, 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 created challenge back in 2015. Uh, one of the prime examples that comes to mind is the general copter landing on the state capitol lawn in Washington, D.C. And so uh, Pathfinder, through uh, uh, the uh, use of uh, AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and, uh, and rapid deployment was able to actually field solution that was able to actually make sense of that uh, uh, thousands of tracks and uh, being able to, uh, through the applications of the right algorithms and filters, uh, being able to actually make sense and to highlight something that was not a bird or not a weather phenomena uh, operating at a fairly slow speed, uh, potentially outside of our uh, standard uh, filters for our radar systems. Uh, so very successful and uh, very successful, not only in getting to the technical uh, capability, but getting to the technical capability in a very short time frame. And, uh, and so we've been able to actually field uh, about a month and a half ago now, uh, the minimum viable package uh, for, uh, for uh, Pathfinder uh, and uh, fielding it to the different sectors that, uh, that populates uh, NORAD, and that actually feeds the NORAD air picture, 
so that they could actually employ it on the floor and provide the immediate feedback uh, to our development uh, developmental team. So uh, while we did this, the work on Pathfinder continued and, uh, and trying to move towards uh, the MVPT uh, 2.0, uh, which we hope to uh, release in a few months that will contain all of the feedback plus enhanced capability. So it's that, uh, it's that developmental uh, ability uh, uh, fielding uh, software capability uh, that, uh, that we're trying to leverage not only with Pathfinder, but with Guide as well. Guide started roughly uh, about a year and a half ago as well uh, through uh, two series of experiments that were initially a US only uh, developmental uh, initiative. And uh, through Guide 3 that was run last fall, uh, we were able to actually bring in uh, partners, allies and partners, uh, in order to actually expand the horizon of what Guide would provide. Guide is there to go beyond the air domain approach. Guide is there to go after the, what I've talked earlier, the, the all domain requirements uh, so that we're able to sense across domains to uh, make sense of what we sense and to bring it into a single plane of glass where not only this commander of uh, NORAD and US NORTHCOM, but uh, the other US combatant commanders uh, and CJOC uh, and uh, eventually allies and partners will be able to actually have uh, not only access to data, but uh, being able to have that uh, fuse picture that provides us with an understanding of a situation or a series of situations, uh, either in competition, in crisis, or in conflict. So that uh, based on the information provided, that we're able to actually uh, uh, aggregate plans uh, to, uh, to understand where friction may exist to response to a single crisis or multiple crises, and at the same time, understand the force flow requirements out of Canada and the US in order to be able to support that, uh, that regional crisis that may erupt. Uh, and uh, so Guide 3 was extremely successful in bringing not only that fuse intelligence picture now, but uh, integrating plans uh, that have been developed over the past years by other uh, combatant commanders and develop as well uh, the logistic element uh, that actually uh, needs to be integral to our decision making. So uh, guide three brought in uh, the, uh, the, uh, the current status of certain logistic footprint and, uh, and the capability that we're residing uh, whether it's air capabilities, land capabilities, or uh, maritime capabilities for that matter, uh, that uh, would be able to actually bring to bear uh, force flow outside of the country while at the same time being able to actually support uh, the uh, required uh, contingency management uh, uh, from a domestic uh, perspective as well. So uh, very successful in that, uh, so much that uh, every combatant commander that was present at the table said, why don't we have this now? So uh, we see this as uh, potentially a contributor to uh, JADC2, or as it's being called in Canada, the PAN-C2 uh, capabilities that is being uh, advanced. And uh, so that we're able to actually bring uh, this to bear with a number of other tools that exist across the different services and within the intelligence community to make guide even better. So uh, guide four is scheduled to uh, take place uh, in the uh, spring. Uh, over a series of events, by uh, being a singular events, now we're going to spread it 
over a series of events so that we're better, better able now to uh, bring to bear uh, those, uh, those sensing mechanisms, the tools, excuse me, that have been developed over the past uh, series of months. And uh, so that we're able to bring logistics, bring the intelligence community perspective and bring the operators perspective so that we're able now to not only look at plans, but develop uh, responses that are coordinated and synchronized and uh, that will not see uh, the ability in one location being delivered at the expense of the capabilities at the other location, uh, which is important given the fact that here we're focused on the domestic defense and uh, we want to make sure that we still have uh, the capabilities required to have uh, to put up a, a, an effective defense or uh, if anything an effective deterrence posture uh, in times of crisis somewhere else. Uh, General Pelche, thank you uh, for taking the time today. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Defense Deconstructed, part of the CGAI Podcast Network. If you like the show, please remember to rate us and leave a comment on your podcast app. And if you like your stuff, please feel free to check out our donation page at cgaai.ca slash support. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The podcast is brought to you by our team in Ottawa. And thanks go to our producer, Charlotte Duval-Antoine, and Drew Phillips for providing our music. I'm Dave Perry, and thanks for listening to this episode of Defense Deconstructed.